Excited to have you today for week three of a new series that we are in. Uh, this is a four-week series, but really, we're walking through the book of Romans, and we are uh, going to be in the book of Romans until like Thanksgiving-ish. So it's a, it's a multiple series that will link together. Each talk is standalone, but uh, I'm excited to walk through the uh, book of the Bible not verse by verse, but thought by thought, if you would, pulling out some of the main elements of the book of Romans. Otherwise, we'd be in it for a very long time if we went verse by verse. But uh, we as well launched, just to kind of throw it out there, a Bible reading plan to go along with the series that really will not only walk you through verse by verse the book of Romans, but other passages that kind of correlate into the context of Romans, which might throw some people off if you're reading and you're like, wait, this is a Romans Bible reading plan, but I am in Luke, right? That, that's intentional, in case you wondered. And uh, it's a SOAP strategy, which kind of gives you an opportunity to focus in on a scripture and, and some observations, some application and prayer. And you could either do a physical handout version, or as Ed mentioned, we have... Uh, an app that'll link to that plan that's on the website as well. So you could follow along either way you want if you want to grow a little deeper on the outside of the context of the service. Um, man, we've dug into kind of some of the, the history of Romans a little bit. We've unpacked Paul's intent in writing this book and what he, his challenges were with the Jews and the Gentiles and... Uh, his love for the gospel in week one. We looked last week uh, into uh, some of the, the aspects of, of just how broken all of us are and the reality that we're going to kind of glance back on that today and in just a moment because sometimes it, it, it just takes that brokenness for God to get in. It's ultimately what inspired the image here is just that thought that our brokenness is the crack that lets the light of God into our life oftentimes. And so whatever can let that light in, it's in our weakest moments that God shows up and is the strongest. And in the light of that, this week has been a heavy week, right? And just really pointed out the brokenness and depravity of where we're at in life. And for those who our fasting news and media, you've probably had a way more positive week than anybody who wasn't uh, skipping like the Twitter feed or any sort of digital news or by goodness, if you're watching live posts on Facebook, this was a rough week, right? And uh, we, just, we just are lacking a lot of love and kindness and heart and justice, and it's been a tough one, and a good one to pack ourselves into a talk where we're focusing on good news, right? We need some good news this week. I mean, we found ourselves in the disbelief of the justice system during the course of this week, and we're just going, really? Like, really? There, there's some that seem to, to, like, multiple tracks of law, so we're processing that, and then all of a sudden comes the needless loss of lives, which seemed fear-based, and we're processing that. And then we see retaliation 
and you realize you can't fight evil with evil, but yet it's always attempted, and then we're processing that, and so our lives have been busy processing. And so it's a week where we need good news, increasingly evident that we're broken, that we need to mourn with those who are mourning, rejoice with those who are rejoicing, but focus on how can we turn the table through acts of kindness and love in the world we live in. And so with that reality, we jump into a talk today, which has been planned for a long time, but it's about God trying to change our heart through kindness, through love. That's his, that's the way he gets us to turn. And so we'll read about that in a second, but one of the most gripping images this week to me, and there's multiple of them, but some of the most gripping images are of uh, men and women hugging police officers in the last couple days, handing them roses, putting roses on police cars, or a line of black men standing in front of a riot gear equipped police squad and just, you know, kind of protecting the police officers. It was just like, wow, what an image. Just these iconic images of love and unity in kindness. Like, I was like, whoa, that is powerful. There's no words needed. That's just powerful. But on a more tangible reality daily in our lives, how do we see kindness? How does it impact us? I was thinking, have you ever known someone who was just incredibly patient and kind? Like, you were concerned that they were getting walked over, patient and kind. They just seemed to keep extending grace almost to their detriment. Now, I've lived in that. That's my dad right? I had that example. He's just gentle, short, and kind. You know, just kind of, he's just going to kind of be quiet. And it's not because he's an accountant that he's quiet. Maybe that plays into it. But he's just very, like, he's going to give you another chance and another chance. And I, in turn, have owned some of those capacities within me and will often extend too much grace and get taken advantage of, right? So you've experienced that. You've seen somebody in your life that that's a... If you're wrong and you're in relationship with this person uh, and this person maybe has authority over you and you're wrong, you're grateful that you know this person, right? You're like, yes, so glad that they're my boss. Or if you're right and you're in relationship with this person, maybe this person frustrates you. Because <laughs> you're like, would you just hammer down the law? You know, and so it's like, you know, there's these, this person can get you. Well, God shows us amazing kindness. Like he is, extends grace way more than that person you know or you're imagining in your mind. He gives chance after chance after chance, trying to lead us to follow him and be free from the world that corrupts us. It's crazy. It's the way God operates. So our big idea today, before we jump into Romans 2, is God's kindness is good news for broken people like you and me. God's kindness 
good news for broken people like you and me. Romans 2, 1 through 4 says, you may think you can condemn such people. Talking of Romans 1, those who stopped worshiping God and started sinning and inventing ways of sin, right? So it says, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad. You have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? God's kindness is intended to turn you from your sin. If you're familiar with other translations of the Bible, you may have that one memorized in your brain as God's kindness leads us to repentance, which means a turning around and seeking God. That's what kindness is intended to do. So our first thought today set up by that is you are just as bad. That's good news. Let's pray. No, I just, isn't that interesting though? You're just as bad. Do it. We need to look in the mirror and come to grips the fact we're not perfect. We aren't. We all know there's moral law, right? There's just an inner law. We know that it exists, that if we're doing something wrong, you can tell that it's wrong. We're born with this natural knowledge of right and wrong. And it's fun to watch little kids, like, experiment with that. I mean, you could see it in them. They don't know the rules, but even from the youngest stage, they're like, they can tell they're doing something wrong, and they're just going to watch your reaction. Have you seen that happen? You know, here's the hot burner, mom and dad. Finger closer, closer, closer. No! And they get the reaction. Some people grow up and become 40-some years old, and they still live for the reaction. Not speaking about anybody in particular in this room. But anyway, uh, you know, so you still do things for a reaction. But kids from the earliest age, they just have this compass. They know right from wrong. It's like Life, though, puts a callus on that sensitivity. And as we grow, if we keep doing wrong over and over again, we become numb to what wrong is. Now, there's good news. Because at the age of 21, when I was told repeatedly by people, man, you don't even have a conscience. You just, like, can do anything. You don't even feel bad, man. God can still come back and renew your mind and regenerate your life to where all of a sudden, oh, no, I, I do have sensitivity again there. So you're not without hope if you're going, that's me. I've sinned so many times in this area of my life. I know I've developed a callous towards sin. This is what this, this passage is talking to because the rulers of the law were like sinning in the same way they're condemning people for sinning. And they're going, well, you're sinning too. What right do you have to judge the person? Because you're both like Jesus talked about this. One scholar in Romans wrote that 
the moral law is like a sheet of glass that if it's broken, it's broken. And maybe you've been that kid before, and when you broke the thing that was breakable, tried to put it back together, it doesn't work very good, does it? It's like you could try to hide that crack with super glue, but it still shows up, and you know you're going to get caught, and you live with that. Well, morality and moral law is the same way. We, we break these rules, and maybe it's for you, imagine you have a sheet of glass, and etched on it is truth, and you tell that first lie, and you just... And you're like, how do I put this together and tell the truth now? Or do I just keep lying and do I get myself farther into the lie? And maybe now you're living this life that you've kind of been making up because the glass broke long ago. Or how about something more deep? Like maybe involving lives or life. Maybe that one time you had the opportunity to make a difference and it was a uh, a well in Ethiopia or something, then the offering bucket was passing, and you're like, no, I need my venti caramel macchiato today. So I'm going to pass up on that, even though I know that little villager in Ethiopia is not going to make it. And that's lived on your conscience. I don't know. I don't know what it is there. Or let's go a little deeper. And you realize she's pregnant, and it's, you're not married and you have a future, and you convince her that she should terminate that life that is within her. And that's literally a, a life. Or maybe it's those images you look at on your computer or phone, and that screen has become a curse, and, and that word purity shattered long ago. And just to find out that on the other side of that screen are, are girls that are enslaved by their captors, those who are enslaving them to finances to produce those images that you're so addicted to. Too heavy for this early in the morning. Okay, let's move on. Um, but that's God's kindness to show you that he can put you back together. We're all broken in one way or another. He wants to give us our feeling back. And when you look at broken morals and you look at broken life and you look at sin and the things we've given into and the way it's impacted or affected us, at the worst of times, and then you see how Jesus treated someone in that moment. Look at this, John 8. Couldn't help but think about this passage in the context of what we're looking at in Romans 2. It says this, about Jesus' behavior towards someone caught in sin. As he was speaking, Jesus speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of idolatry. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to Stoner, what do you say? And they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stopped, or stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned 
throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Wow. That's kindness. Now, maybe Jesus knew it was not her intent to commit adultery. So although she was caught in the act, he just decided to let her go without consequence. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Somebody will get that later and tie that into the current happenings in our world. Anyway, so moving on. Uh, no, maybe that was totally free. HR department will cut that out of the podcast probably. But no, we're, I mean, just li- looking at the reality of Jesus, this is unbelievable. She's caught in the act, Jesus. She deserves exactly what the law has written in the code. But Jesus was the only one that day that could have picked up a stone and thrown it. Because he's the only one in that crowd that was without sin. The only one. But God didn't send a condemner to save us. He sent us a Savior who loves us to lead us. He doesn't throw a stone to change our lives. One of the first things Open Life was known for in our community was making an impact through a decision to replace a window at a bikini barista place. And it was like we saw a window that had rocks thrown through it, and it was caution tape everywhere, and the news was people try to communicate to a bikini barista place that that, it's not right that they're in their community by throwing a stone through the window. So we're like, replace the window. Jesus doesn't throw stones. And I remember that. I remember making that decision. I remember driving up to that stand in in the name of ministry. You know, God's servant. No, it was actually really awkward. Um, yeah, we have this gift for you. It's for, it's, it doesn't mean anything. There's money in there, but I'm not trying, you know, I don't want to, just, just here, love you. Bye. I mean, not love, but here. And I'm driving away. <coughs> My little Prius horn. Uh, so, as I, you know, as the reality is to communicate love sometimes is tough. And, uh, but Jesus doesn't throw a stone. His kindness is there. His love is extended to lead us back to him. Do not judge others, Luke 6, 37 says. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you'll be forgiven. It's grace. It's kindness. We can't condemn because we're just as bad, just as broken. Because of our brokenness, we're unfit to judge. We've seen this play out in the news, right? It's like that judge who who gave that Stanford student six months for a rape case. 
and found himself on another rape case, and people turned out in droves to protest, saying, this judge is not fit to try another rape. And they took it away from him because he was unfit to judge another case like that. We're unfit to judge. We have a Savior, and his name is Jesus, and he's not here to condemn but to save. He is the only one fit to judge, so it's your and my job to love people incredibly graciously so that kindness can lead them towards a turnaround. That's our goal. That's what we're here for. Jesus continually saves us through his kindness. He gives us grace upon grace upon grace. So let's continue in Romans 2 and see what else we can uncover it saying here. It says in verse 6, He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. Thought number two. How you live life matters, or how you live matters. Paul was dealing with, again, the Jew versus Gentile factor. Jews were these people who thought because of their birthright, we're going to inherit the kingdom of God. They were Jews. And the Gentiles were not the holy people of God, so they found themselves like outside the camp of faith but yet long to have this relationship with God that the Jews and the favor and the blessings that they were told about that the Jews had. The Jews thought they were better even though they lived worse lives in some instances. They were the chosen ones of God. But it doesn't make you better because you've chosen to live a life of following Jesus. Because you follow Jesus, you're not superior to judge the world. You might not think the things you say and do are judging others, but sometimes you're speaking the truth, but you're really judging by the actions you're exemplifying towards others. I mean, do we really love others unconditionally? Ephesians 5.15 says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand that what the Lord wants you to do. You get to choose how you live. You can choose to follow Jesus and put yourself in line to inherit eternal life, but you get to choose beyond that how you live, your submission beyond following Jesus. No one forces you to follow and no one forces you to continue to obey him and to serve others and to love others as he's challenging us to do here. God gives us the freedom of choice. And you can choose one way or another, but there are consequences for our choices still after following Jesus. Positive life benefits can be reaped or negative, life-destroying consequences. Every decision you make has an effect, cause and effect. So let's continue. Romans 2.15, they demonstrate 
that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim. That the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. Thought three, there are no secrets. Isn't that the big lie? That we think we can, like, hide our sin from God? You may be able to hide it from each other, but God sees everything. He sees everything. He's at all places at all times. Omnipresent. He sees it all. That should impact our behavior. That should impact our choices. It's not like we can keep a secret from God. And we will at one time be judged according to our secret life. Not just our public life. He even knows your intentions, right? However, it is God's kindness that enables us to not hide our sin from God, ultimately allowing us to say, okay, God, here I am. I'm broken. Remove this desire from me. His kindness, like, opens us up to embracing this hope that he wants to pour into us. Something has to sear through our hardened conscience. Right? And that's exactly what happened to me. Something got through. And I believe it was many family members that were praying for me, friends that were praying for me, that were finally, their prayers like peeled away the hardness of heart that I had developed over the course of years and allowed God's kindness to catch traction in my life. And finally, I was like, okay, I choose this option instead of this option because life is better here. God, here's my brokenness. Here's my brokenness. Romans 2.4, again, let me read it. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance, right? I think that's the NIV version versus the New Living Translation version. When you experience the kindness of someone, it's easier to accept correction and change, isn't it? I never did well with coaches that screamed at me. I just never did. And, and I see coaches like that lead great teams. But I didn't do well with tantruming leaders. But I always did well with a leader who was encouraging. You'll get it next time. Deal with it again. You'll get it next time. Keep going. I always played better for those coaches. I know you're looking at me and you can tell I used to be an athlete. Right now, in fact, you're like, oh, he must have. I could tell right now from him, that 41-year-old just, like, won the 5,000 meter. Did you see that? He, like, ran faster than everybody else. Went to this weird school, though, running. He, he graduated from Wazoo. Anyway, he, uh, but he ran faster than anybody and, and made it as number one to the Olympics. He's, it's going to be his fifth Olympics as a 41-year-old. Is that crazy? And uh, I used to run long distance. That's what you're thinking, huh? Because you look at how skinny... 
I don't cast a shadow, more like a wall. Anyway, so it's, it's just the reality that I did have coaches. I did do athletics years ago, years ago. And it was the reality that they cared for me and had a relationship with me that made me go much, much farther into the pain and mental torture of whatever sport it was. Kindness holds such power. And I believe it holds power for your coworker, for your neighbor. How much grace are you extending? How much life are you extending to those around you through kindness, through love? Because if you're judgmental, accusational, harsh, it breeds defensiveness, judging back, anger, defense, you know, you're backed into a corner, you're going to bite. God's kindness doesn't do that. God's, God's kindness opens us up to freedom. He leads us, clears the fog away. We drove here in the fog this morning. God's kindness clears the fog away so we can make right choices. Finally, we jump into Romans 2.21. It says this, well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but you do you still? You say it's wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You're so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. We live in a world that is challenged by this very, very thing where people choose something other than the hope and love and life and kindness of God because of Christians. They choose to not go to church because they know someone who goes to church. Our final thought is never stop learning. Never stop learning. We're all in process. We haven't mastered anything. We've got to be lifelong learners and listen to God because he's always going to call us on something. Maybe it's, did you see that door you missed? You could have held it for about 20 more seconds because somebody's coming in with a box. Their hands are full. Maybe it's, do you see that police officer over there? This has been a rough week on them. Go give them a hug. Just don't go, hey, before you walk towards them. Bad idea. Just saying. Uh, if we believe we've mastered following Jesus and that we've arrived at the faith, man, we're putting ourselves in the same level as Jesus, and that's dangerous. That's that's very, very dangerous. That's when we start judging others as if we're Jesus. It's not your judgments that will change people's lives. It's your kindness. It's the way you love. And it's God's kindness that changes and has changed, hopefully has changed, your heart. Our action point for this week is show, show kindness to others. Pretty simple. 
It's the challenge we have here in the text. But maybe this is a challenge for you. Because you've yet to embrace God's kindness for yourself. If you're not welcoming in God's kindness, maybe the challenge is it's really tough to give it back out freely because you feel you haven't got yours. Well, today you have an opportunity to receive his kindness. Where this first portion of the series, the gospel, lands is in Romans 3, 22 through 24 next week. It says in verse 22, we're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone is sin. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. The good news for broken people like you and me is this. Jesus paid the price so that we could be in right relationship. We could receive all of God's kindness, not just be inspired by it, but have eternal life by choosing to follow Jesus and continuing to pay that kindness forward to others that we've received. So I want to pray today. I want to pray that you would embrace that kindness, that you would embrace Jesus and choose to follow him. But I want to commission you to go out and show an extra dose of kindness to others. Because honestly, this world right now we live in, this country, those that have watched the news or read it this last week are hurting. And they understand the disparity of the world we live in and the level to which it's become broken. And we have the opportunity to bring a little love and healing to that. God, I thank you for everybody who showed up today, walked into this school campus that we're able to rent. And I pray that God, you would touch their heart today to one, embrace your kindness. And the intent of your kindness, as is written in Romans 2.4, is to help us turn to you, to help us repent of our sin and the wrong that we've held on to and we use it to judge others. But yet, God, that's not your desire for us. You want us to take all of our weaknesses and love others who have the same weaknesses. Our power is in our kindness, in our love. So, God, I pray that you would come and let those who've yet to choose you simply invite you into their life and choose to follow Jesus as their Lord. And then this would be the day of turning for them, that they would turn back to you, that they would embrace your kindness and love for them. We're all broken. It doesn't matter what broke for them. It doesn't matter what piece of glass shattered and they feel like they can't glue their life back together. Your kindness is still extended to them and they can be healed by putting their faith in Jesus. So God, inspire those in this room today to choose to follow you as well. Send all of us out from here this week to show kindness to others in a way that would heal a hurting world, that would touch the lives of those who have just seen brokenness up close and personal, and maybe for the first time they're understanding the disparity of the world we live in Yet you send us along to bring kindness and love. May it be a great dose of you into the world we live. We thank you for the opportunity we have 
to be your kindness extended to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Worship team is going to sing. And as they do, I want you to keep a spirit of prayer and reflectiveness and say, man, what is God inspiring me to do to show kindness to others? Maybe you're going to think of a name or think of uh, someone you're going to show. Maybe you're going to bake some cookies and take it to someone who serves our community, a first responder. I don't know. But I pray that you would be inspired. I pray today that you would listen to God as they sing and and, and maybe you jot a prayer request down on your connection card. And I know we already prayed during worship, but maybe you need one-on-one prayer. Capture one of us. We'd love to pray with you. But Ed's going to come and close us after they sing. But right now, I want you just to kind of think, what is it God has for me to do this week as they do?